Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love and commissioned to serve. And the FCBC, here's how we say it. We live, we love, we serve. Amen, beloved. Listen, on last week, we, uh, I spoke from the third chapter of the Gospel of John, and I said that this week it would be part two. It's not really part two, but it's in the same line of scriptures. Last week, uh, we preached from, I preached from John 3, 22 through 24. The title of the sermon was Searching for Salim. This week, I want to read from John 3, 25 through 30. John 3, 25 through 30. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. Here's how it reads. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we thank you on this day. We honor you on this day, oh God, for how? You continually, continually remind us of your loving care and your kindness towards us. Thank you, God, because even now, oh God, we can feel your presence. Thank you, God, for allowing your spirit to fill the spaces in our heart where pain tries to dominate. Thank you, God, for your peace, and thank you, God, for your love, and thank you, God, for your grace, and thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God. Now, oh God, in this time that is ours to share, do whatever you need to do with your word and with us to get the glory. We love you, God. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. 
Amen. I want to read that again. John 3, 25 through 30. Now a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testified, here he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. Beloved, I want to speak this morning from this subject, rebelling against envy and jealousy. Rebelling against envy and jealousy. Amen. Amen. This scene is paramount in the life of John the Baptist. It is a time in the Gospel of John that actually records where Jesus and John are performing ministry at the same time. In the previous verses, the writer makes it known in verses 22 through 24 that Jesus had gone to the Judean countryside baptizing and John had gone to Siloam to baptize and the people were coming there in abundance. And John's life had not yet been shifted by going to prison. Those of you who know the John narrative know that there will come a moment where John will be in prison and the fullness of Jesus's ministry will be made manifest at that moment. But in this scene, John and Jesus are ministering at the same time, different places, different locations, but both baptizing. They're baptizing because the people have found their way to the two persons they believe symbolize a new possibility, a new day, a new season, and a new era in the life of God's people. And so John is baptizing at Salim and Jesus is baptizing in the Judean countryside and they're functioning perfectly. They are both honoring the call and assignment on their lives. And the truth is that when we are honoring the assignment that God has placed on our lives, that our focus ought to be so fixed and our vision so clear that we do not get distracted by those who don't understand the nature of our calling and assignment. Because the truth is, whenever you're honoring your call, honoring your assignment in life, there will be people who will try to disrupt your focus, blur your vision, and actually get you to be misaligned with what God wants you to do in your life. This scene clearly outlines that. Here is John. 
honoring the assignment God has called him to, baptizing and letting the people know that the kingdom of God is drawing nigh. And in fact, while Jesus is ministering, John is clear that the kingdom of God is no longer just on the way, but the kingdom of God has arrived in the manifestation, not only of Jesus, but Jesus's work. And there are those who are disciples of John who had followed John now after having a conversation with others about the nature of baptism, they find themselves growing somewhat jealous or even envious of what Jesus is doing. They come to John and try to get John to buy into their own issues. And they tell John, John, the one who you witness of, who you identified across the Jordan, he's out there now baptizing and doing work like us, doing even more work. They try to enlist John in their own issue. I hope you catch that, beloved. They are trying to enlist John in their own issue. They're concerned because they see John's numbers decreasing and Jesus is following increasing. And in their minds, something is wrong because John was before Jesus. And they try again to enlist Jesus in their own issue. I love this scene because John is not easily swayed. And the truth is, if we pay attention to John's words and John's disposition, we'll learn something about how to rebel against envy and jealousy. They come to John and they try to pull John into their misery shaped by envy and jealousy. But John does not bite. He will have none of that conversation. He will not find himself pulled in and dragged in to other people's issues. I wish I had some time this morning to really draw out that point because there are a whole lot of us who've lived with compounded issues that were not even ours, but we found ourselves pulled into spaces that were not designed for us, but we let ourselves be duped in believing that some other people's issues are also our issues. John does not allow that to happen. It is as if, it is as if John senses that this moment, this moment may be more important than when he began his ministry. This moment may be more important than when he started baptizing in the Jordan. This moment may be more important than when he confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This moment may be more important than any priest's word he gave. This moment may be more important than anything he did when he was in the wilderness. Why? Because these moments arrive in our lives to test our dedication to the call or the benefits of the call. I hope you get that, beloved. I'm going to put it this way. When we honor our assignments in life, our assignments, our life assignments, and if we honor them, yes, we may experience a modicum of success. And success always looks different depending on the nature of the call and the assignment. But the truth is, in that moment, while we're honoring the call and the assignment, we cannot be so seduced by the consequences or the byproduct of the assignment that we forget the assignment. Well, let me put it to you another way. You have an assignment, and then all of a sudden there's 
rabid success. And pretty soon you find yourself not addicted to the call, but addicted to the success. And then you try to engage in repetitive behavior, not to repeat the call, but to repeat the success. Not realizing that sometimes when you try to repeat the success, you may even have replication of the success, but you may become misaligned with the call. Every assignment God gives us, I'm convinced, has an expiration date. And the question is not whether or not it has an expiration date. The question is, can you be clear, confident, and honest enough to know when your season of fading to the background is at hand? Can I drop something in your spirit? There's some of us, especially in this current cultural moment where everybody wants attention and everyone wants to be recognized and people are seduced by celebrity culture. There are so many of us who want to be at the forefront, who want to be front and center of everything. But here's what I know. Anyone who knows cinematography knows this, that even though you may have a desire to be in the foreground, the foreground will never come into clarity without the background. That it is the background that gives the foreground life. You can't have the life of the foreground without the presence of the background. And so many of us are so fixated on being in the foreground that nobody desires to be in the background. But if there's no background, there's no foreground. And so the question is, can you heed the calling, especially if your assignment may be to look and honor your background assignment in a time where everybody around you wants to be in the foreground. John understands the nature of his assignment. John understands that there was a season when he was in the foreground, but that season is now fading. And he understands the nature of his assignment, that when the assignment is done, there's no need to try again to repeat the original assignment to get prior success. And so in that moment when John finds himself being tempted to fall back into a prior space, really it's this. John's disciples are trying to bait him with the dual poison of jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy are poisonous. I know for some of us that may seem a little harsh to hear, but jealousy and envy are poisonous. And they are not the same thing. Can I help you make the distinction this morning? Watch this. Envy, in a word, is when I want what you have. Jealousy is when I want the recognition you have from others. I hope you get that. Envy is what I want with you have. Jealousy is what I want the recognition you get from others. Okay, let me flip it this way. Envy is a reaction, an emotional reaction to which you think you lack. Jealousy is an emotional reaction to the threat of losing something you may possess. I hope you get that. Envy and jealousy are not the same thing. With envy, you desire something you don't have because you think you're lacking. And then with jealousy, well, you are succumbing to the threat of losing something that you may possess or wanting something or the recognition 
than others may have. And here's the thing. All of us, no matter how high and holy you may be, no matter how saved and sanctified and consecrated you think you are, we have all tasted the poison of envy and jealousy. The question is not whether or not we've tasted the poison. The question is whether or not we keep sipping from the cup over and over again. Envy and jealousy are dual poisons that when we allow them to find a resting place in our psyche, begin to consume our thoughts. When we begin to allow them to find a resting place in our spirits, they distort our personality. They foster discontent and distress in our spirits. They lead to resentment and bitterness and can spread into depression. When envy and jealousy find a resting place in our spirit, they bind our freedom. It's hard to be free when you're busy consumed with what somebody else has or trying to get what somebody else has or worried about what you might lose. Because if you're concerned about what you think you don't have or losing what you think you possess, that means those thoughts, that fear, because all of it is rooted in fear, begins to take root in your life. And pretty soon, misery is your constant disposition because you are never happy. You cannot be an envious and jealous person and actually be happy. Because you're always thinking about what you don't have and looking at what others have and wanting the things that they have because you think you need it, not being content with who you are and what you possess. John's disciples are trying to get him to fall victim to envy and jealousy because they see what they perceive as a fading of their position. But I love John's response. Here's what John says in a word. I told you already from the beginning that I was not the Messiah, that my assignment was to go ahead and prepare the way for the Messiah. I told you from the beginning. He said it clearly. He knew who he was. He said, I was not the Messiah and I am not the Messiah. I was the one sent to prepare. And then look at the beautiful analogy he gives. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, John said, my joy has been fulfilled. I love the message Bible. It says, John says, for this reason, my cup overflows. I must decrease. He must increase. I must fade from the foreground because my assignment had an expiration date. And I understood that when he arrived, it meant the fading of my own moment. But my moment was never about me in the first place. My moment was about him. My moment was to set the stage, set the table, prepare the way Open the door, make provision for the one who would come. I made it clear from the beginning. That was not my assignment. It is a dangerous thing when people try to dilute your significance and your calling, trying to get you to capitulate to their expectations and their desires. John made it clear. 
I will not be baited into abusing my status with God. I will not be seduced into living in a space where I will find myself miserable trying to get back what I think I lost. Can I drop this in your spirit? Stop hanging around people who try to instigate your envy or jumpstart your jealousy. Measure the people around you. Because if you're around people who are never satisfied, always talking about what they don't have, what they think they need, what they think they want to possess, always looking at what other people are doing and what other people have, and pretty soon now it is a chorus of discontent that you have now found yourself involved in, be careful. Because those were the people who tried to pull John away from his call and assignment. But here's what I learned, and I won't be before you long. Here's what I learned. John gives us a way to rebel against jealousy and envy, beloved. Because somebody today needs to know there is a way to rebel against this emotion and these emotions. Here's what I first want you to see. When John says to the disciples, his disciples, I told you I am not the Messiah. Can I tell you one of the most profound ways to rebel against jealousy and envy? Here it is. It's called self-awareness. When you are self-aware and understand who you are, you can own your own story unapologetically. Boy, I hope you caught that today. When you are self-aware and know who you are, you have no shame in your own story. In fact, you understand the significance of your own story, and you do not try to mimic someone else's story or recreate someone else's success in your own life because you understand who you are. You are self aware. Do you own your story or do you manufacture false stories to gain relevancy in the mind of other people? Because I know that life too. When you create myths about yourself to feel relevant in the presence of others. Well, some people call it embellishing. Grandma said, stop lying. You do not have to embellish your story. Just be content with your story. There's an old song we learned. You know the song, beloved. We heard it a long time growing up in the church. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. It was as if the writer of the hymn understood that my praise of my Savior is connected to knowing my story and understanding the uniqueness of my story and celebrating my story in such a way that I can give God praise for the, for the nuances, the contours, the 
rough moments, the ridges, the ups, the downs of my story. When was the last time you made an analysis of your personal narrative, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and was able to say, God, in spite of all that I've been through in this journey, I'm going to own my story. I'm going to give my testimony because my presence here right now is proof that my story ain't over yet. There's more to this narrative. Why? Because as long as I am breathing and as long as I am alive, there's more to this story. But here it is. My breathing and recognizing my life is also a way of being self-aware. John said, I'm not the Messiah. I knew and know what I came to do. Self-awareness. That's the one way to rebel. Can I give you this next one? He tells him a story about the bride and the bridegroom. The one who gets the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bride stands there and rejoices at the voice of the bridegroom. He said, and my joy is fulfilled at his assignment. You catch that? When the message Bible says, John says in the Message Bible, my cup overflows because of his assignment. Okay, you ain't get it? Okay. Here's the next way you rebel against jealousy and envy. Celebrate the success of other people. It ain't hard. This ain't rocket science today. Celebrate other people. Why is that so why is that so revolutionary and rebellious in this day and age? Because it seems like every time you see the news, you see social media, everybody's in competition with everybody else. You see, uh-uh, life is not about competition. Again, when you're self-aware, clear about who you are, there's no need to compete because you understand clearly who you are. Why compete with others when there's nobody like you? Why be in competition? The only, this is what I heard the other day, the only person you should be in competition with is who you were on yesterday. Oh, I hope you get that. The only person you should be in competition with is who you were on yesterday. Why? It's because every day you get a new day, new life, new opportunity. You should try to be the best version of yourself. You should build on who you were yesterday. That's the only competition. You versus who you were. Not you versus anybody else. Life is not about competition. And if my only competition is my former self, that means I can celebrate what God is doing in your life. Watch this part. Genuinely. Because I know a whole lot of fake praisers who celebrate, but it ain't real. There's no humility there. They're celebrating, but the whole, the whole time they're wondering, when is their chance? When is their turn? When will it be my season? They're celebrating you, hoping that their celebration of you will guarantee what was coming to them. No, that ain't genuine. I'm celebrating you for who you are and for how God is moving in your life. Can I tell you something else in the same vein as that competition, that spirit of competition? It's really another way to rebel against jealousy and envy. It is this. We sometimes get envious and jealous of people because we see what they possess and we desire it. Or we feel they are getting something that we may be losing out on. But can I really help you understand why that's insane on some levels? Because no matter who you may grow envious or jealous of, here it is, nobody has it all. Nobody has it all. Some of the same people you look at with that 
eye of envy and jealousy. You think they have it all because of the snapshots you've seen. The truth is you don't know what people go through to get where they are. I tell people all the time, people say, I've had people come to say, Pastor, I wish I had your life. I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're looking at the shiny stuff. You don't see the blood, the sweat, the tears. You don't see the midnight crying. You don't see the alone nights. You don't see the loneliness. You don't see the hurt. You don't see the abandonment. You don't see the betrayal. You don't see the crippling moments of self-doubt. You don't see those things that cause psychic fractures in my own mind. You think you want it because you see what you want to see, but you don't know what people go through. You see people's success, but you don't always know their misery. And there's some people, some of the most successful people you know, you will hear a moment in their life who will say things like this. I will give it all away tomorrow for some peace. I will forfeit it all just for some joy. Why? Because the things that you attach success to and envy to are often things that fade away and perish. But the things that are truly priceless in life, you learn oftentimes later in life is that the most important things in life did not have a price tag on them. Nobody has it all. In other words, something that I talk about all the time, stop comparing yourself to other people. Nobody has it all. Each person you know, even the people you may be jealous of and envious of, every person, they each have their own experiences. They each have their own problems. They each have their own trials. They each have their own struggle. They each have their own hurt. They each have things that you would not envy in order to experience who they are. Nobody, beloved, has it all. And what happens sometimes when you feel you're lacking, you romanticize the images you see and say things like, if only I had this or only I had that. The times when I've had people who've seen something and complimented me and I say the same thing, aim higher. Don't let what you see somebody else have or possess be your bar. Aim higher, beloved. There's more to you. And there's more in you to desire being like someone else. And then here it is. Here's the last part I want to give you. Ways to rebel against jealousy and envy. Well, for one, I said self-awareness. Two, celebrate the success of others. Three, realize that nobody has it all. And don't allow comparison to taint who you are. And lastly, this is real easy. Um, Start focusing on the goodness of your own life. That's it. Start focusing on the goodness of your own life. Oh, I, I got to say it again. Start focusing on the goodness of your own life. As challenging as things may be and as sometimes difficult as things may be in your life, you actually have a pretty good life. I know sometimes we would like to have more possessions and more money and more this and more that. But in the midst of desiring more, pause and recognize what you got. Celebrate the goodness of your own life. Celebrate your uniqueness and celebrate your giftedness and celebrate who you are. And because you can celebrate who you are when time comes in the midst of your journey, 
to fade to the background. You won't be kicking and fighting, trying to reclaim a space. I wish I had the capacity to tell you of all the people we know, you know, who have a hard time stepping away from center stage. They became so seduced to the success and so seduced by the attention and so seduced by the recognition. They didn't know when, as the folk would say, to have a seat. Everyone has their moment. We all have our time. And if you believe that, you won't be jealous of anyone else. And can I tell you that if there's an expiration on your assignment, there's also a birthday for your new assignment. That means as long as you trust and honor God, you are always, watch this, ever evolving. That this season, this is the thing that you do. But when God says that's the end of this assignment and you may say, God, I don't want to let this assignment go. It's been good to me. It's been what has brought me great attention. It's the thing that's given me great success. It is because you are thinking that this thing is the only thing you can do. God says, let it go and watch what I can put in your hand. And can I tell you this? I've experienced, I've experienced the snatching of things out of my hand. And I thought I would be empty handed. But God said, I don't even need to expand your hand. I want to expand your possibility, but you can't walk in the fullness of possibility holding on to the things you need to let go of. When is your season, beloved, of decrease? And we all will have it. Don't get mad with God. Celebrate that you honored the assignment that God has placed over your life because there is no sense in not honoring yourself. John gives us a way. Be self-aware. Know who you are. Celebrate the success of others. Realize that nobody has it all, so it makes no sense to engage in a comparison game. And lastly, start focusing on the goodness of your own life. Because whether you realize it or not, in the midst of the tears, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurts, joy weaves its way through your life. And here's what I realize. Sometimes we miss the moments of joy because we stop focusing on the goodness of our life. I know sometimes it sounds trite and overworked, and I say it all the time about our elders. They understood the beauty of celebrating what seemed simple to other people. I would hear sometimes the elders in the church I grew up in get up during devotion and testify. And there's something about hearing people repeat the refrain of thank you. It must be music to the ears of God. And I know we would hear it so much in church, it gets old and God, thank you. They would say, for waking me up this morning, starting me on my way. I love that. I know it's old, but put food on the table, clothes on my back. You allow me to wake up from my rest, my sleep. And those, that bed wasn't a cooling board. 
God, thank you. Because just when I want to be mad about the day, I wake up to a new morning. Life is actually better than I give it credit for. So no need, beloved, to be envious or jealous. No need to be chasing what someone else has. Can I really share this? When you allow envy and jealousy to find a resting place in your spirit, it is as if you're saying, God, I don't believe you can do anything else for me. Think about that. You're really saying, God, I think that I've hit the cap at what you can do in my life. So much so that I'd rather spend time looking at what you're doing in other people's lives. No. Morning by morning. New mercies. You will see. But don't treat God like God can't do anything else. That's why I learned to beat back jealousy and envy and not try to be anybody else and be comfortable in my own skin because again i gotta go back to my elders can i get churchy god ain't through with me yet there's more to this story there's more to your story beloved there's much more to your story you may have had some difficult chapters but god is still writing and I know, again, it sounds overused, but can I drop this? The best is yet to come. I believe that. Do me a favor. Just lean in wherever you are. Let's talk to God. God, we, we thank you today. And we honor you today, oh God. The truth is, oh God, today may have been a day of honesty for some of us. Seldom do we want to admit when jealousy and envy have us in their grips. And it's so easy when we constantly see people almost parading the images of success and wealth and material prosperity and But God, why glorify perishable goods when we have eternal gifts? We have you, oh God, in our lives. And knowing your presence helps us to see ourselves, to be self-aware. God, thank you for this reminder today. Thank you for helping us beat back jealousy and envy, for helping us rebel against the spirit of jealousy and envy. God, you've been too good to worry about what other people possess. You've been too good to worry about what we don't have. You've been too good, and the testimony of your goodness is the beating of our heart right now, oh God. And the life in our bodies. 
you've been too good for us to be ungrateful. So thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't mean that we don't desire to give our best. It doesn't mean that we don't have ambitions, but those ambitions are rooted in our self-awareness. Because we get up every day with the desire to be the best version of ourselves. And the only competition is who we were on yesterday. That means that our commitment is to grow wiser and better. Thank you, God, for this. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you next time.